Now, that song we just sang kind of helps us in this thing that I want to start out with, okay? I want us to just use our imagination a little bit as we answer this question together, okay? So that means I need a little bit of response, okay? As Christians, what is something that we will experience forever? Heaven. Yeah, and what, what do we know about heaven? Just describe it. What words come to your mind as you imagine? Let's imagine what is heaven like that we as Christians experience? What, what, what comes to mind? What was that? Unimaginable, okay? We're trying to use our imagination, but you're right. What does it say? Streets of gold? Pearls, right? That are the gates? God's throne room? There's peace. Just imagine, what is that going to be like? What else will we experience forever, for all of eternity? God's presence. What is that going to be like? That's going to be awesome, right? You know, there's that song, I think it's by Mercy Me, that uh, talks about what what will I do? Will I I stand? Will I kneel down? Will I have the song? Will I even be able to speak at all? I can only imagine God's presence, like the near presence of God. One of my favorite verses from scriptures is when, in the end of Revelation, where it says that, that heaven is coming down, like the new Jerusalem is coming down to earth. There's a new heaven, there's a new earth, and then it says, behold, the dwelling of God is with humanity. You see, God became flesh and dwelt among us. He, he pitched his tent, so to speak, lived here. We will be in God's presence forever uh, in, in, with the new heaven and the new earth. What else? Let's think about one more thing. What do we experience for all of eternity? Never-ending love? Yeah. Unblemished and unending love. Joy. Relationships with those that have gone before us. I mean, we live in a broken world. It's so hard for us to imagine what would unblemished love look like. Because you know what? Even the good things that we do are often tainted by our selflessness, right? No sinful nature? How awesome is that? Like, that is what we as Christians have to look forward to, to experience. On the flip side, those that don't know Christ, what do they have that lasts forever? Separation from the presence of God. Jesus talked about hell more than, more than a lot of preachers do. A real place of torment. Separation from God. Not what humans were created for. We should let that settle in. Both the inheritance that we have, but also the flip side of it. Because you see, today, what we're talking about is the missionary life is worth it. It's worth it. Living the life of a missionary here in Jackson County, or Papua New Guinea, or down south where you guys are from, wherever you're called to be, you are called to be a missionary there. And the missionary life is worth it. Why? Because no one that we encounter is a mere mortal and everyone will spend eternity somewhere in the song that we sing and the things that we talked about what we will experience for eternity that's like that's like this much of it it's barely scratching the surface it's going to be awesome and on the other side it's horrible and we can try to whitewash it and sugarcoat it and jesus doesn't do that and god doesn't do that he says, do you, do you think I desire the wicked to perish? I take no delight in that. I want them to repent in turn because what? 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Because God loves us so much. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn us. Jesus didn't come from God to show us how bad we are and to condemn us. He showed us that we need a savior and that he is the savior we need. God sent his son not to condemn the world, but that he might save the world through him. And then the next verse, okay, this is me paraphrasing, says, but the one who has not believed already stands condemned because they have not believed. In the book of Romans, we see that those that are living their own way are storing up for themselves wrath. That's true. It's in Scripture. We can't just sugarcoat it or not think about it. God is loving and gracious and just and wrathful against sin because sin kills. It separates us, separates people from the author of life. And Jesus has come to do away with that, to take away our sin, that we can be in the near presence of God now by his spirit and in eternity when the dwelling of God is again with humanity. Praise the Lord. But I want us to start here because this is why the missionary life is so important. And I'm getting away from my notes, so I better pick them up so I know where I'm going next. We're talking about organic outreach. We're talking about sharing our faith, sharing the best news ever. Last week, we had this great missions conference. It was my first time experiencing that. And it was awesome. You know, thank you, Mike, and your team, Brandon, and, and your family, and Terry, and Helen, and the others that were here from the local missions. And, and I knew we were in the midst of this organic outreach sermon series. And I was so glad that we would have the mission conference in the middle of it. And Dr. Ahmad Shahada is going to come at the end because organic outreach is simply living the missionary life wherever you're at. It doesn't matter. If you're called halfway around the world, awesome. Live the missionary life here, there. If you're called here, awesome. Live the missionary life here. That's what mission is. That's what evangelism is. That's what outreach is. That's what it means to be a Christian, right? You'll receive power and you're going to be my witnesses. That's not just for the disciples. It's not just for pastors and elders or teachers or missionaries. It's for all of us. And you know what? God's calling us to this and he's empowering us for this. And I think he wants to see all of us grow deeper in this. I want to grow. I'm not there yet. But oh, how I want to be. So the inspiration kind of for this week's sermon came from some of the things last week. When Brandon was sharing, the thing that, one of the things that struck me was when people go into the bush to plant a church, they have to expect five years about of preparation before they even have their first Bible study, right? About five-ish years, okay? Because when they go to a new place, they've got to learn the language. And in Papua New Guinea, that's pidgin English, learning the language of the people there. But that's not the same language as what you're going to learn in the tribe. So you've got to learn the culture. You've got to learn the language. You've got to build relationships. And then when you get the, the people group that you're going to, you don't know how to speak their language. They don't know how to speak your language. They've never seen somebody like you. Missionaries have to take the long view. It's going to take me five years of building relationships, learning this language that nobody else knows but these people before I even have the opportunity to speak the gospel to them. And it's worth it for them. The missionary life is worth it, no matter where you're called to be. And it's worth it to have patient endurance and to take the long view. So that's where some of this came from this week. In the book of John chapter 5, Jesus said this, okay? He said, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. 
Jesus had just healed somebody on the Sabbath with ticked off the Pharisees because they're like, hey, there's six other days to heal people. How about you do it then? And Jesus' response to them is, God, my father, is always working, even to this day, so I too am working. And how did the Pharisees respond to that? They weren't too happy about it. Two reasons. One, okay, that's a pretty good comeback by the Son of God. Okay, good check over there. Two, he's claiming to be equal with God. They hated him for it. God is always at work. You're never the first witness. Over in, in a couple weeks, maybe next week, we're going to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit in, in living as witnesses. Okay, God's Spirit is working and moving. He's working in other people. He's working in you. He wants to bring you into relationship with other people because that's how the gospel is spread from us to others. Right? That's God's main way of spreading the gospel. So Jesus said his father is always at work. And, and so that's good for us to know God is always working. And, and guess what? In 2 Peter, Peter writes this to the people he's writing to. Because it's like they were going through hard times and persecution. They're like, is the Lord coming back soon? Because the world is really bad and everything's not going well. And people are scoffing and they're saying, yeah, yeah, right. God is coming back. No, things have always continued as they've always been. And they'll always continue as they always have been. And he says, but they forget that there was creation, that there was a flood. And they forget that Christ is coming back. And then he says this. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. That's the heartbeat of the Father. But everyone to come to repentance. You see, God the Father is always at work. And he takes the long view. He's patient. His return is coming. He's patient because he wants more people to come to faith in him. And I'm so glad God takes a long view on me. Because I have so much more growing to do. I am not there yet at all. Oh, God, have mercy on me. And God takes a long view and he's always working. And he shows patient endurance and loving kindness. And I need that. And guess what? Your neighbors need that. The people that you know need that. It's worth it for us to live the missionary life. Further looking at some of the heartbeat of the Father, twice in Ezekiel, okay, Peter just isn't making this up. God says, I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. He says, look, the bad things that are happening to you don't have to happen to you. I don't want you to die. Repent, change, turn around and live. Later on, he says this, son of man, say to the house of Israel, this is what you're saying. Our offenses and sin weigh us down and we're wasting away from them. How then can we live? They recognize their sinfulness. How can we live? We're wasting away from this. And he says, look, look, say to them, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, repent, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, O house of Israel? The heartbeat of the father is that the world will know his love in turn because he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He takes no pleasure in knowing that children he created, his children that he loves, will be separated from him. He wants them to turn and repent. And that's why the missionary life is worth it. One last verse about the heartbeat of the Father. I love the book of Romans. Paul's talking about how great the gospel is. And he talks about the evil things that the world are doing. And then he says, but wait a minute. When you point your finger at them, realize that there's three fingers pointing back at you. The things they're doing, you do the same thing. You can't boast and be like, I'm good enough. 
Do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness, his tolerance, his patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? That's the heartbeat of the Father. Taking the long view, patient endurance, the kindness of God, the loving kindness of God, the chesed, that's that Hebrew word for loving kindness, drawing people to himself. And guess what? You and me, we're called to be the vessels that God uses to draw people to himself. That's the heartbeat of the Father. Now, what is this like? I, I hope that in this a little bit, we, we just see kind of like the stakes of this, so to speak. Because it's so easy for us to just get going on in life that we just kind of, we're doing the things that we know we're supposed to do. We're being a good Christian. We're going to church. We're raising our family. We're getting in God's word. We're praying. Good, we need to do all that. We should keep doing that. But I think sometimes we forget, I forget, what's coming. I forget about my inheritance when I'm just thinking about day-to-day life. And I forget about what's in store for those who don't know Christ. But you see, one of the whole reasons I think that God leaves us on earth after we're saved and doesn't just take us to heaven because heaven would be so much better, right? That's what Paul said. Man, I'd rather go there, but I know I have work here to do, is that we've been called to be witnesses and ambassadors and missionaries because there's a world out there that needs to know the hope that you and I have so we're called for this when we do this we reflect the heartbeat of god that he wants no one to perish but he wants them all to come into a right relationship with him through jesus christ so so what can this look like go ahead and turn your bibles to first corinthians chapter 9 we're just going to unpack a couple scriptures of what could this look like this missionary life how did the apostle paul seek to be a missionary wherever he was traveling around where he went, wherever he was at, as he was going, making disciples. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is in the middle of a couple verses where Paul is talking about there is this debate and there is this conflict within the church about eating meat. Okay? Because there was meat that was sacrificed to idols. Okay? So the whole context of this is, is it okay for us to eat meat if we think it may have been or if it definitely was sacrificed to an idol? Okay? And so he's talking about this whole thing and basically he's saying, look, idols are not real. They're, if if you ha- have, somebody gives you food, you don't have to be like, was it sacrificed to an idol? I don't know if it was or not. It's okay. Eat it. But if you're in your conscience, you can't because you remembered what it was like worshiping that. And you just, you can't, don't eat it and don't feel bad about it. And if you think that it's okay to eat it, don't look down on the person who can't. In fact, give up your freedom to eat it so you don't cause them to stumble. That's what he's talking about here. Then he talks about his rights as an apostle. Hey, I I, I could get paid for this. I could have this or this, but I don't want that. that. And it's going here. And he says, though I'm free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Paul says, look, I'm free in Christ. I don't have to be bound by the things the Jews are bound by. I don't have to be bound by your conscience. If you think that I can't eat the meat or bound by what you think is right, if, 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 it's, not, if it's not something explicitly in there, I'm not bound by that. But I make myself a slave to who? What does it say up there? Second line, right in the middle. What's that word? Everyone. A slave to Christ? Yes, but he says, I make myself a slave to everyone. A great paradox of Christianity. We are free in Christ. We have the freedom, okay? And we use that freedom to serve one another, to put ourselves under one another, and to literally make ourselves a slave to other people. Why? What does it say there? 
to win as many as possible. He says, look, the goal of my life is I know my inheritance. I know what is coming for those that don't believe. So it's worth it for me to make myself a slave to others that I may win as many as possible to Christ, to that inheritance. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. Okay, now reading that, we're kind of like, wait a minute, Paul, slow down a little bit. What he's saying is, when I was ministering to Jews, I became like a Jew. I'm not under their laws. I don't have to follow their dietary restrictions. I don't have to celebrate these things, the fulfillments in Christ. But, but as long as it wasn't going against Christianity, I could become like one of them. I could become like I was under the law, but I'm not under the law. But I could, I could enter into their life to connect with them and give the gospel. To the Gentiles who don't have the law, I became like them not having the law. But that didn't mean I'm free to do whatever I want. I'm still under God's moral law. I'm still under the law of Christ. So no, Paul didn't just go in, I'm just going to live in sin because they are. No, but he entered into their life and their culture and he entered in so he was accessible and approachable. Why? So he could win them that were under the law or win them not having the law. Win them to what? The inheritance we talked about, the things that we imagine that will be here forever. Verse 22, to the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Paul, he's, real, he's realistic about this. I become all things to all men so that by all possible means, all, 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 all things to all men so that by all and every possible means I may, might save some. It's worth it. Paul would say the missionary life is worth it. Being shipwrecked is worth it. Worth it. Being beaten and left for dead is worth it. Being stoned is worth it. Why? That I might save some from an eternity in hell. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may become a partaker and I may share in its blessings. Then he says this. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games, he's talking about the Olympic games, goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. Look, he's saying in the midst of living the missionary life, it takes intentionality. Just like an Olympian trains their body. They have a goal. They they eat a certain way. They exercise. They sleep. They do all these things for that goal to win a crown of laurel leaves that will rot and fade. And he says, we have a crown that will last forever. So I'm not merely shadow boxing. I'm not running in place. I have an aim and I have a goal that I might win some. And it's worth the sacrifices it may take. It's worth stepping out of my comfort zone to connect with somebody far from Christ. It's worth inviting people over to my house so I can build relationships with them. It's worth the time and effort to get to know somebody in their context, to learn what they like, to listen to them, to pray for them, because you know what? That I might win some. It's worth it. The missionary life is worth it. It's worth living your life for. It's worth giving your life for. It's worth reorganizing your life for. 
It's worth it. That's what Paul is saying here. It's worth it. It's not necessarily easy, he says, right? And then at the end of the chapters, he's still talking in that context of eating or drinking the, the things that have been sacrificed to idols or not. But he says, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks or the church of God. Even as I try to please everybody in every way, for I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many. Why? So that many may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. You see, Paul, I think, is a great example of what that missionary life looks like. I became all people. I became all things to all people so that in all possible ways I might win some. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Because you see, it wasn't just Paul. Like God could have, I mean, like, right, he's God. Couldn't he have? God didn't just stay out here and save us. What did he do? He entered time and space. The incarnation, what we're going to celebrate at Christmas in, in you know, like, not, that, not too many Sundays away, actually. Entered time and space. Entered into our world to reveal the Father to us, to show us, incarnated in here to save us. And God is not just calling us to remain out here and hope the world is saved, but to enter into conversations and relationships and live the missionary life here that we might win some. Because it's worth it. The missionary life is worth it. It reflects the heartbeat of God. It imitates the incarnation of Christ. I mean, can you imagine leaving heaven to come to this world? No. But that's what Christ did for you and for me. So, so what does this look like in our life? How do we seek to enter into the culture, enter into relationships with people who are far from Christ? Because here's a challenge for me. If we look at our schedules, how much time do we spend with people that don't know Jesus on a regular basis? If we're probably honest, it's not a whole lot. It's really easy for us just to hang out with each other, which is awesome. We love each other. We should do that. But I have to challenge us. If we are not building relationships with people who don't know Jesus, how are we going to live the missionary life? And I'm saying that to me. Sit it right here. This is something we all need to hear. Because like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, we all have an evangelistic temperature, right? And it doesn't matter if you're a one or two or nine or ten. It doesn't matter where you're at today. It's what can I do to take it up a notch? How can I keep this in front of me so I'm praying for those five people I put on that card? How can I intentionally be like Paul did? I, I don't want to shadow box my life away. I don't want to run aimlessly. I want to have a goal that all may know Jesus. How can I structure my life in that way? And, and, and what could that look like in our lives? Here's a couple things we can, we can look at. Making connections and building relationships. Not all evangelism has to start with relationships, okay? Not all evangelism has to. It often does. That's where you have the, the freedom to share about your faith as you get to know people and you listen to them, okay? It doesn't always have to be. Let's not fall into the, the trap of I've got to build relations and build relationships and we build this relationship but we never share our faith, okay? That's missing the point. But we can begin and continue to make connections and build relationships in three different ways. People you know, People you used to know and people you want to know. Okay, so people you know, that's just people you know around in your life. 
friends, acquaintances, co-workers, whatever. People you used to know would be like people from, from school or from the place you used to live or things like that. There's already a connection there, but, but it's not right here and right now. But it could be, there could be opportunities to reach out on Facebook or whatnot and reconnect. Maybe they're still in the area and there's already a relationship that's there. And then finally, people that you want to know. How can we make connections and build relationships? What, is it, what could the missionary life look like for you and me here? Now, the things that we're going to go through, it isn't like follow this exactly, this is exact, but it's ideas. Let's get the gears in our mind turning. What could the missionary life look like here where we're at? One of the first ways, come walk with me. How can we make connections and build relationships with people that we know, that we already know? So it doesn't mean you have to do something extra. Who can you invite to join you in the regular activities of your life? Sharing a meal together, watching the football game, going to sports activities or exercising together, children activities, strategic work days. Hey, how about let's work on something on your house one day and work on something on my house another day running errands or working on the house. Like, what is already going on in your life that you can invite somebody into and to do that? That's a way that you can build relationships with other people. I love how Kevin Harney talks about it in his book, Organic Outreach. Shopping, going to lunch, attending a sporting event, going for a walk, going on vacation, picking out a new lawnmower, anything. We can say, who could I bring along in this? And we build a relationship through it. And when you do that to bathe the time in prayer, God, will you use this? Will you give me opportunities to display your grace in front of this person? Will you work in their heart? Will you give me opportunities just to share my faith with you in a big way or a small way? God, will you work in their lives? And then just be yourself. You don't have to force religious conversation, but when your faith comes up, like step into it. Our faith is real. It's important to us. Remember when I wore that Steeler jersey up here a couple weeks ago? Okay, the, pe- the people you like to root for, it's real to you. And when somebody starts talking about sports, what do you talk about? The team you like. So when somebody starts talking about joys in their life or hardness or things, and, and they ask how you're doing, you can share how God has helped you in the hard things of your life because that's important to you. Another thing that we can do, if we want to grow in intentionally building a relationship, hosting Matthew parties, okay? Now, why are they called Matthew parties, okay? Matthew was a tax collector. Jesus said, hey, follow me. He left his tax collecting booth, followed Jesus, and the very first thing he did was invite all his friends to meet Jesus. So you have Jesus, Jesus' disciples, and a bunch of tax collectors and sinners, okay? It was a party of Christians, followers of Jesus, and non-Christians, for holidays, for desserts, fun events, block parties, just connecting with Christian friends and non-Christian friends, just so we're rubbing shoulders together. They can realize that we're normal-ish. I mean, some of us, I'm not really normal, but you know, we're normal people. We go, like, we don't have it all together. We go through hard things. We face anxiety sometimes. Sometimes we're depressed. We go through hard things and we have this foundation that carries us, okay? So come along with me, hosting Matthew parties. What else could this look like? Learn with me. Maybe in your building relationships with somebody, you see that they've got questions about something and they ask you and you're like, I don't really know. That sounds pretty interesting. Want to study it together? That can be a great way to dig deeper, to build relationships, uh, to explore questions of faith with spiritual seekers. For some people... They get intrigued and they just want to learn more about it. And maybe there's DVDs or CDs or books or podcasts or websites that you can, hey, this person that I listen to on YouTube, and he, he does such a great job unpacking this. Here, let me send you the link. Maybe you'd like to watch it. We can talk about it sometime over coffee. 
These are ways that we can be strategic and intentional in building relationships because the missionary life is worth it. And get this. I was reading an article this week and somebody was talking about, they were uh, visiting with one of their friends who was a missionary in Baghdad. And they asked, how, how can you be a missionary there in Baghdad when it's, it's so dangerous and, and it's so, um, uh, you know, like it, it's not really a safe place to be a Christian and share your faith. And the person said, the same way that, that we all should be. It's building relationships. It's going to the same stores over and over to get to know the clerks and the people there, going to the same restaurants to be able to connect with these people and, and sharing my faith in relationships. And I think we can learn from that. Because, you know, a lot of people know about Jesus, but the Jesus they know about is, is more than likely merely a caricature of what, who Jesus really is. Another thing we can do is invite people to church-based gatherings. What is happening here and around Skiff, we can invite people to, okay? If you have neighbors that have kids, invite them to the Trunk or Treat Harvest Fair, okay? Let them be people that come and connect with us here that we see, hey, we just want to love on you. We want to help. We want to hear your stories. We want to meet your needs. We want to provide a great place for you to have fun with your kids. Invite them to Awana. We have 30-some kids. Let's have 40, 50. You know what? God will take care of the workers. He'll do it, Okay? Send the kids in. We want them. Bible studies, prayer groups, we have these different things going on. Youth group, what about our senior breakfast or that fourth fellowship Sunday? What if we said, hmm, could I invite a neighbor to that who doesn't know Jesus? What if we, could, what if we did that? Just, we're already doing this at church. Let's just, who can we invite? Or the widow's breakfast. Other fall or Christmas events that we have going on. I know, Adam, you've talked about a pie and hymn night, something like that. Are we, is it, What? In November. So we're going to have a pie and hymn night. Let's have it not just be us. Let's invite others. We're looking at maybe a, a Christmas uh, chorus. Let's not have that not just be us. Let's invite others in to what's going on here. Another way we can build relationships is to follow the model of Jesus and serve others, right? Like he washed his disciples' feet and he said, yeah, I'm Lord and I'm Master and I've washed your feet and I'm calling you to do the same thing. When we serve other people and we meet needs with the love of Christ, that's a great way to build relationships as we seek to live the missionary life here. Last one here. Let me get caught up in my notes. The 30-second rule. This is a commitment to pause at specific times in the flow of your day to recalibrate our hearts and eyes toward the people around us. Because you see, we have these relationships. We have, I mean, like, we have a relationship with ourselves, kind of. Like, we're always around ourselves. Like it or not, you are. Okay? And then you've, you've got your family, right? You've got your extended family. You have close friends. You have coworkers and things like that. You have acquaintances. And then there's also people that, that you meet in the flow of your day. And so here's some things we can do. As I'm going, getting ready to go in and order lunch or get a cup of coffee or walk into work or pick up my kids from work or go to their soccer practice, God, how do you want me to pray as I walk into this portion of my day? What do you want me to notice? Who do you want me to notice? And how might I extend your love and grace, Jesus, to those that are here? You see, part of living the missionary life is being intentional, I think, in seeing what's around us. Who looks like they could use somebody to connect with? And we talked about people you used to know. So those things are all things we do with people you know. What about people you used to know? Well, who maybe has God put on your heart from some time past that you can reach out to and, and you can ask them questions how they're doing and begin to dive into a relationship maybe 
and see how God could use that. And the final example is people you want to know, okay? Strategic consumerism. What do I mean by that? When you go out to eat, where do you go? When you go to the grocery store, where do you go? A couple weeks ago, I had an opportunity that we were going out to eat at a restaurant, and I just asked the waitress if there was anything we could pray for her about. So now I know her name. I know her dad was just diagnosed with esophagus cancer. So maybe I should go back there to eat and check in on her. I'm praying for her. I'm praying for her dad. So strategic consumerism is I want to build relationships with the places that I go, the, the people that I come and come across with. Because you see, God wants to use you in those relationships you have, and he wants us to be intentional in that. Because why? The missionary life is worth it. It is worth us looking at our life and going, God, will you help me to evaluate? Am I really living as a witness and ambassador and a missionary as you want me to? And if not, what changes can I make? Because I don't want to shadow box my way through life. I don't want to run aimlessly. I want to be like Paul and become all things to all people so that by all possible ways I might win some. And that's the missionary life. So what does all this mean for us today? Here's a summary of those eight things we talked about, okay? If you want, you could take a you know, picture of that so you remember you don't have to write it all down, okay? I could email it to you as well, but if you want to do that. So what does this mean, okay? Those eight things. Here's a challenge. Pick one. Pick one this week, okay? Anyone. I don't care what it is. Pray about it. Pick one. Try it out this week. Just try it out. See what happens. So much about living the missionary life. And we see in the scripture about walking out our faith, they often talk about like a farmer. I'm not a farmer, okay? And I think our main farmer is not here today, right? I don't see Dale here. I've done some gardening. You do a lot of work preparing, watering, plant. Well, you got to plant first, right? Preparing, planting, watering, fertilizing, weeding, all this stuff in hope of the harvest to come. Same thing with living out our faith. As a farmer, we put the work in and we pray for the harvest and we trust that God says you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. The missionary life is worth it. So this week, I challenge you. Prayerfully and seriously, go before God. Lay your heart and your life, your schedule. God, how am I doing in this? How am I doing? And listen. And you know what? If, if you're like me, you may go, man... I don't feel I'm doing that great. God, will you show me the changes I can make? Or maybe you could say, God, I thank you that you've helped me grow in this area and, I, and I'm building this relationship. Will you show me how I can, how I can share your gospel with that person? Because you see, God wants to use you and he wants to use me. And the missionary life is worth it. So as our worship team comes on up, we're going to close out our, our sermon time and we're going to take communion after our, after our closing song. But I encourage you, let's, let's imitate Paul as he imitates Christ. And let's seek how we can be all things to all people so that by all possible means we might win some. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the love and the passion that you have for the world. That because it's, it's simply because you loved us so much that you sent Jesus. Like, that's it. You love sinners like me. Thank you. God, may your heartbeat of love 
that compelled Christ to go to the cross. For the joy set before him, may that beat in my heart and our hearts. God, in the ways that maybe we feel discouraged in walking out this missionary life, God, will you give us your encouragement and your joy? God, will you help us to look at our lives and see how, how can we do this more intentionally? Because this is what we're called to, Lord. God, stir it up in us. God, I am praying for a harvest of many people coming to faith in you through this congregation here for your glory. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.